Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Abnormal Psychologist podcast. Um, let me explain a little bit about the name of the podcast. Uh, this podcast will cover issues related to psychopathologies. So at many colleges and universities, courses related to psychopathology are called abnormal psychology. Um, and also related to the title, I am a psychologist. So there you get abnormal psychologist podcast. Um, so I guess I'll start um, by telling you a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm an assistant professor of behavioral sciences at Christian Brothers University, uh, which is in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I completed my undergrad at the University of Memphis, um, and I had study abroad trips when I was uh, undergrad to Italy, um, where I studied wine tasting, and to France, um, where they called psychology, psychology. Um, so one of the things we'll find in future episodes are that the French have really high rates of depression and really low rates of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Um, anyways. Uh, after completing my undergrad degree, I went on to get my master's and PhD at the University of Memphis. Um, my specialization is in school psychology, uh, but I'm licensed to cl uh, practice um, clinically here in Tennessee. I completed an internship in Hawaii at the Hawaii Internship Consortium in Professional Psychology. Uh, and there I practiced with kids and adolescents. Um, and I also completed a mini rota rotation with the uh, Hawaii Youth Correctional Facility, HYCF. Um, so after completing my internship, I moved back to Memphis and completed a postdoc with Shelby County School System, and then a two-year fellowship with the University of Tennessee Health Sciences Center. And of course, I teach at Christian Brothers, and this will be, and it's hard to believe, uh, my fifth year of teaching. Um, I'm pretty young for a psychologist. Uh, I was looking at Facebook memories the other day, and it's been five years this month since I completed my PhD. And I was 27 years old when I completed it, so you can do the math and figure out how old I am. Um, anyways, hopefully I uh, will be able to share some of my clinical experiences with you along the way um, throughout these episodes. And my hope with this podcast is to explore issues related to psychopathology. So in the first few episodes, we'll talk about the study of psychopathology pretty broadly, pretty generally, and then we'll dedicate episodes to different disorders. So in doing that, I'll walk you through the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh, which is published by the APA, and that's not the American Psychological Association, that's the American Psychiatric Association. Um, and it's in its fifth edition, so you'll hear me say DSM-5 a lot. Even though people get the two APAs confused, right? American Psychological Association and, and American Psychiatric Association. Uh, one of the cool things is um, like a year and a half ago, we had the president of the American Psychological Association, uh, who is uh, Rosie Bingham, um, and the president of the American Psychiatric Association, who is Alpha Stewart, uh, both from Memphis. And they were both um, uh, leading their respective organizations at the same time. So... Uh, for a little bit, Memphis was like the epicenter of uh, mental health um, in the United States, in a good way. Uh, anyways, um, you'll hear me say DSM-5 a lot, and I'll dedicate an entire episode to the DSM and its development uh, pretty soon in a future episode. Um, so we're talking about uh, psychopathology, and I'm starting this podcast during a pandemic. So one of the things I, would, I, you know, I really want to explore in this podcast um, is the psychology of living during a pandemic. 
Um, I saw the other day on social media that one of my grad school classmates, um, who's now a professor at George Washington University, I just published a research article on coronaphobia. Uh, I think the first time I've said coronaphobia out loud. Uh, so maybe we can talk about coronaphobia a little bit. Um, I do plan on talking about hypochondriasis. You know, you've probably heard the term or phrase, you're such a hypochondriac. Um, I'll talk about that in a later episode. Um, but side note, if you have a copy of the DSM-5 and you're scrolling through it, um, you won't find hypochondriasis in there. Uh, most cases of what we think of as hypochondriasis um, fall under a diagnosis uh, called illness anxiety disorder. Um, all right, so I've explained the name of this podcast, and it's taken me about five minutes to do so. Uh, now you might wonder about the intro music to this episode, right? So the music is an instrumental piece um, from Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho. Uh, and I took a psychopathology class uh, as an undergrad, and I thought it was going to be things like dissecting episodes from criminal minds or something. Um, or studying psychopaths, right? Uh, psychology right, is the study of the mind for all you etymology or word nerds out there, right? You add ology on the, the end of something and it's the study of psychology, the study of the mind. So psychopathology must be the study of psychopaths, right? Wrong. Um, or maybe it's a little right. Um, it's simply the study of psychological and psychiatric disease um, of which psych psychopathy or sociopathy um, is a diagnosis. So I guess it's sort of right. Uh, anyways, it's August right now, and a cold front just came through here in Memphis, and the humidity fell, and I swear I can smell pumpkin spice latte in the breeze, right? Fall is going to be here soon, for better or for worse. Um, and with fall comes Halloween. And I think Halloween is still going to be a thing with COVID-19, I hope, right? I'm not really sure about trick-or-treating. Uh, I was thinking the other day I need to invent like a t-shirt cannon um, that shoots candy out. And that way I can sit on the porch drinking beer uh, with a cannon and like socially distance launch candy at kids that are in the street trick-or-treating. Um, anybody listening want in on this idea? Maybe we could be like partners in business. I think it's brilliant. Like we can save Halloween. Um, but besides trick-or-treating, right? Halloween is usually accompanied by scary movies. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people only know about psychopathology from two sources. Those are scary movies and news headlines. Um, in fact, one of, the, one of the more sensational things I can think of related to movies, there's this movie poster from 1966. Uh, the movie's called The Psychopath. You can Google it and uh, pull up an image. And the tagline is, don't cross the path of the psychopath unless you're tired of it all. And then on the poster, it says, Mother, may I go out and kill? And that's coming from this picture of a creepy guy holding a knife, right? Super sensationalized. And unfortunately, that's not the only example that we have. There's a lot of examples of mental illness in movies, right? So the following films, um, Psycho, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Misery, Summer of Sam, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare at Elm Street, Primal Fear, Cape Fear, Dark Knight, um, more recently Split, right? They all have characters in them, characters who are violent, um, who also have uh, some sort of um, mental illness or um, psychopathology. So one of my favorite uh, books is The 50 Greatest Myths in Popular Psychology. It's by a psychologist named Scott Lilienfeld. I think he's at Emory University. And his myth number 43 is that most mentally ill people are violent. 
And I think this is a misconception that many people have, again, because of the movies and news headlines. Um, and so 75% of movies that contain a character that has a serious mental illness. So another acronym, we talked about DSM-5 a little bit ago. Another acronym that I might throw out is SMI. And SMI stands for serious mental illness. Uh, and that's going to be limited to uh, really debilitating mental illnesses um, like schizophrenia, bipolar one, sometimes bipolar two, sometimes really severe depression. Uh, but we're not talking about ADHD. We're not talking about social anxiety disorder or something like that. This is um, something that might require acute psychiatric care, inpatient psychiatric care. And 75% of movies that contain a character with an SMI uh, portray that character as violent. Often they're physically aggressive or homicidal. Um, TV programs aren't much better um, for all you criminal mind fans out there. Uh, I used to watch that uh, during the daytime when I was studying um, as an undergrad. I guess it's still on air, like you can watch reruns or something. But anyways, TV programs, uh, they depict characters with psychopathology as committing violent acts 10 or 20 to 20 times more than the average person. Um, Angela Duckworth, you, you might have heard that name before. She's a really, really famous psychologist for studying grit and resiliency. Uh, she has the, the phrase, when catastrophic things happen, people often look for a psychiatric diagnosis. And, you know, I think that that happens a lot of times in the news, right? So unfortunately, it seems like every few months we have a mass shooting incident. And one of the first things that news programs do after one of these mass shooting incidents, right, is they try to do a, a psychological or psychiatric autopsy on the person. Um, they try to figure out, you know, what drove the person to do this. Now, you know, th there's got to be some sort of diagnosis or some sort of reasoning for why, um, why this person did this. One of the earliest examples I can remember in my own lifetime uh, was the case of Andrea Yates. Um, she drowned five of her children uh, in a bathtub in Houston, Texas in 2001. Um, and one of the really unfortunate things about this incident um, is it sort of propagated the myth that postpartum depression uh, is really, really dangerous, right? It can turn you into somebody that's homicidal. Um, and that is not true at all. Andrea Yates likely did not have postpartum depression. She probably had postpartum psychosis, which is incredibly, incredibly rare. Uh, but unfortunately, as the media often does, it gets things wrong. And um, this began to create a stigma surrounding postpartum depression, uh, which, is, which is very common. And unfortunately, um, since that incident almost 20 years ago, uh, a lot of mothers have been afraid to... Um, reach out and seek help um, for uh, their depression, uh, which is also different than uh, baby blues, which is a little more common. Um, if, you're, if you're scrolling through the DSM-5, flipping through the DSM-5, you're not going to find postpartum depression in there. Um, you will find major depressive disorder, and then as a specifier for major depressive disorder, you'll find with peripartum onset. And so that's kind of where we put postpartum depression uh, in the diagnostic realm. Um, also speaking of postpartum depression, so Andrea Yates was in Houston, Texas. There was another case, um, I think it was about four years ago. Yeah, July 2016. Um, we had the case of Shanithia Gardner here in Memphis. Um, and she murdered her four children um, off a of Hacks Crossroad, uh, not far from uh, Southwind High School, uh, for you other Memphians out there. Um, and again, it, it was not postpartum depression, uh, could have been postpartum psychosis, also could have been um, 
something else. But uh, the take home message is the media gets things wrong. And again, when something horrific happens, uh, people for some reason try to look for some sort of diagnosis to explain it. Um, we had a lot of talk, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago when uh, James Holmes um, committed the Aurora, Colorado mass shooting, right? Uh, you remember, I believe that was at the premiere of The, the Dark Knight. Um, and he had orange hair and um, kind of looked wacky when he, went, when he was arrested and went in front of the courtroom. And people were speculating all types of things about um, what sort of diagnosis he might have had. Um, and he might have had, uh, I've seen dysphoric mania, mixed mania, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Um, but again, these don't really, uh, this is not an excuse for violence. This is not the reason that he committed these acts. Um, something uh, a little more recent, I guess, uh, 2014, so two years after James Holmes in Aurora, Colorado. So a couple of years after the James Holmes uh, Aurora, Colorado shootings, uh, we had the Newtown, Connecticut school shootings um, at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And those were committed by Adam Lanza. Um, and Adam Lanza, right after the, the, the news story broke, um, he didn't survive the incident. I believe he committed suicide. Um, uh, they, they, they tried to figure out you know, what could provoke somebody to kill 20 children. Um, and they went back and they did a psychological or psychiatric autopsy and they found that he had autism spectrum disorder. Uh, at that time it was known as Asperger's syndrome. Uh, we hadn't done the combination of Asperger's with autism spectrum, autism spectrum disorder. Uh, that wouldn't come from another year for another year until 2013, uh, when the DSM-5 was published. Uh, but anyways, um, all of a sudden overnight, uh, all of these families of, uh, kids with autism spectrum disorder were afraid to send their kids to school because they, there was a stigma that arose overnight that these kids be, could become homicidal or murderous. And it was not autism that led Adam Lanza. Adam Lanza was probably actually misdiagnosed with Asperger's. Um, if he did in fact have it, uh, it most certainly did not cause him uh, to commit the Sandy Hook shootings. There was just so much misinformation out there. Um, but again, the media takes something and they run with it. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it's um, everybody else that is sort of drawn in and has these misconceptions uh, about certain psychopathologies. Uh, more recently, right, we had Stephen Paddock, who was the Las Vegas shooter. Um, and there were all sorts of opinions uh, after that incident um, about what sort of diagnoses he might have had. And they even went back and they looked uh, at sort of the mental health history of his father, uh, who was, uh, I think, a career criminal. Um, and they tried to draw parallels and, uh, again, all of these wild hypotheses about what might have happened. And then two years ago, we had the incident with Nicholas Cruz, right, who was at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And uh, what came up in the news with this was he had this extensive psychological and psychiatric history, all of these red flags that were out. Um, and there was nothing really based on Florida state law that they could do, um, to involuntarily commit him. And maybe this is something that I can talk about in future episodes. We could talk about involuntary commitment. Uh, it differs based on state law, but I can share with you what I know about Tennessee and what I know about Hawaii. Um, but anyways, there were warning signs along the way, uh, and there was sort of nothing that they could do to, um, to stop it. 
so again, with news stories, 85% of news stories that uh, involve mental illness focus on violent crimes. Uh, and this brings to mind, if you're a cognitive psychologist, the availability heuristic. Uh, and this is where we, you know, we judge how often. A heuristic is sort of this um, uh, trick that we do with our mind, right? It's a, it's a shortcut in thinking. And with this availability heuristic, we take the shortcut and we judge how often something occurs by how easily it comes to mind, right? And since 85% of news stories involving mental illness focus on violent crimes, when we think about mental illness in the news, all of a sudden we've made this strong connection between violence and mental illness. Um, and this is an interesting stigma. It doesn't exist everywhere. Uh, I think I've seen research that says that this doesn't exist um, in certain Inuit communities in Greenland um, and in some other uh, cultures around the world. So it, it, this is not something that's universal. Uh, it's also something that starts really early in life. I think that they've traced this, uh, uh, this bias um, all the way to early childhood. Um, and because of this, 80% of Americans believe those with mental illness are prone to violence. Uh, and this has grown since 1950. Many uh, people think that people with mental illness today uh, are more violent than people did back in 1950. Um, however, the number of crimes being committed by people with mental illness has steadily dec declined over the last 40 years. Um, uh, we, we've seen a drop-off. Uh, and there is a higher risk of violence for certain disorders. Um, when we talk about conduct disorder or oppositional defiant disorder or antisocial personality disorder, uh, by their very nature, by their definition, um, you have to have committed some sort of uh, illegal act. Um, and with the first two, or with antisocial personality disorder and with conduct disorder, um, they have to be acts that violate people's rights. Um, and so, of course, there's going to be a higher risk of violence for those. Um, there's also going to be a modestly higher risk for uh, disorders like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Uh, but for those, right, we talked about SMI, serious mental illness, uh, under which schizophrenia and bipolar disorders would fall into. Uh, more than 90% of people with SMI never commit a violent act. Um, psychiatric inpatients who are medication compliant are at no higher risk for violence in the general population. Um, and in fact, people with an SMI are far more likely to be victims of crime than the persecutors. Uh, so I ask you, you know, if the face of mental illness is not the guy in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what is the face of mental illness? And the answer is probably go look in the mirror. A lot of the diagnoses that we're going to talk about um, are very prevalent. Uh, we're, we're not talking about sensationalized news stories. We're not talking about television episodes of Criminal Minds. And we're not talking about uh, horror movies. Um, we're talking about you or a family member or your neighbor. Uh, and so one of the things I hope to do uh, through this podcast is to instill a sense of empathy uh, for those with mental illness. Because again, it's not probably what comes to mind through your availability heuristic. So anyways, one of the things that I want to do in future episodes is mailbag. Uh, because it's the first episode, I don't have any mail right now. Uh, but if you have any questions uh, about anything related to psychopathology, I'm going to dedicate the end of each episode to answering them. And so if you have a question, you can submit it to me. You can email it to me at ctaylo41 at cbu.edu. That's ctaylo41 at cbu.edu. 
and I'll answer questions at the end of uh, each episode. Um, anyways, in the next episode, we're going to talk about the history of psychopathology. I will see you then. Take care.